Good afternoon. The meeting will come to order. Welcome to um, the June 9th, um, 2023 meeting of the Budget and Appropriation. I'm Supervisor Connie Chan, Chair of the Committee, and I'm joined by Supervisors Asha Safai and Shaman Walton. Our clerk is Brent Halipa. I would like to thank um, Michael Baltazar uh, from SFGov TV for broadcasting this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcement? Thank you, Madam Chair. Just a friendly reminder for those in attendance to please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices as to not to interrupt our proceedings here in the chamber. Uh, the Board of Supervisors and its committing, uh, committees are convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. Public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first and they will take those who are waiting on the telephone line for those watching remotely and streaming through sfgovtv.org. The public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen and when connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak and those on the telephone should dial star three to also be added to the speaker line. If you're on your telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices you may be using and each speaker will be allowed up to two minutes to speak unless otherwise stated. Uh, alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Appropriations Committee Clerk, at brent.jalipa at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's 1, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors' agenda of June 27th, unless otherwise stated. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Before we proceed, uh, we have received a request uh, from Supervisor Ronan to be excused for today's meeting. So, um... I would like to move to excuse Supervisor Ronan, and may I have a second? Second by Supervisor Walton. Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. Yes, on that motion uh, to excuse Supervisor Ronan from this meeting, uh, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Walton. Walton, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have four ayes with uh, Member Ronan excused for this meeting. Thank you, the motion passes. And um, just would like to remind colleagues that item uh, five, which is the last item on our agenda today, um, has the um, budget and legislative analyst report. So we should have a presentation and then go to the budget and legislative analyst report. Then we go to comments and questions and public comments. And with that, uh, Mr. Clerk, can you please call item one and two together? Yes, items number one and two are the proposed interim budget and appropriation and salary ordinance for the fiscal years ending June 30th, 2024 and June 30th, 2025. Item one appropriates all estimated receipts and all estimated expenditures for departments of the city and county as of June 1st, 2023. And item two uh, enumerates positions in the annual budget and appropriation ordinance, continuing creating or establishing uh, positions, enumerating and including therein all positions created by the charter or state law 
for which compensations are paid from city and county funds and appropriated in the annual appropriation ordinance, authorizing appointments or continuation of appointments thereto, specifying and fixing the compensations and work schedules thereof, and authorizing appointments to temporary positions and fixing compensations. And Madam Chair, I am in receipt of a memo from your desk that the aforementioned items are intended to be forwarded as a committee report for the full board's consideration of June 13th, should they be referred out of committee today and members of the public who wish to provide public comment on these ordinances should call 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID of 2592-893-1263, then press pound twice. And if you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. Hit prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And uh, today, with this item, we have a presentation by Anna Duning, uh, Director for the uh, Mayor's Office um, for Budget. And uh, thank you so much for being here. All right, good afternoon, supervisors. And I had a presentation that hopefully we can pull up. I apologize, one second. And as he's pulling that up, just wanna thank Budget Chair Chan for kicking off this series of hearings about the city's upcoming two-year budget. Um, also thank Vice Chair Mandelman, other committee members, Supervisor Safai, Supervisor Walton. Um, look forward to working with you all over these next two weeks. It's going to go by quickly. All right, thank you. So today I'm just going to offer a high-level overview of what is in the mayor's proposed budget, the details of which we will be discussing in the coming weeks with departments. Overall, the, this proposed budget closes, you can go to the next slide, a $780 million deficit while maintaining critical services for San Francisco residents. It makes targeted investments in economic recovery, public safety, homelessness and behavioral health, some of which I will highlight today, and it leverages our available funding sources to advance citywide priorities and address community needs. I wanna talk a bit about how we closed the $780 million gap. So balancing the budget, you can go to the next slide or two more slides. First, we did make many departmental reductions throughout this budget. You will hear about salary reductions to account for vacancies in departments, contract reductions, as well as the use of other revenue sources to shift general fund costs to other sources. We reduced project budgets throughout departments where projects were complete, had other sources they could rely on to finish, or were non-critical to core department operations. There are also many big places in this budget where we are relying on other funding sources. Some of those non-general fund sources include the RCDR Home Fund to advance homelessness spending, Early Care and Education Fund, as well as our opioid settlement dollars. There are citywide savings targets in this budget where we made reductions in things like technology, real estate, and materials and supplies, largely in the second year of the budget to allow departments time to plan about where exactly they're going to find those savings. You go to the next slide. There are debt savings in this budget to capitalize on savings in the city's debt portfolio. 
we're also making lower than projected investments in our capital, COIT, and equipment funding. So where we had planned to make much higher levels of capital investments, we're maintaining our capital investments largely flat from the current year. And finally, this budget does appropriate the use of reserves, including the business tax stabilization reserve, a portion of the federal disallowance reserve, a reserve we have set aside for FEMA, and then it also maintains a reserve that we appropriated last year in the second year of the budget, and that's $90 million of the fiscal cliff reserve. Next slide, please. There are also several legislative changes that we are going to be discussing in the coming weeks that are proposed with this budget. First, there are three ordinances that would change various business-related taxes, and this is to advance economic recovery efforts and ensure the long-term stability of our business tax base. There's another ordinance that would allow changes to the RCDR home allocations to maximize the use of available funds for homelessness services. There's another ordinance that would temporarily suspend a portion of the Early Care and Education General Fund baseline, which would help fund food access programs. And there are several other ordinances that have been introduced with this budget, including an update to the minimum compensation ordinance, changes to some department fees, contracting cleanup, as well as an ordinance that would reduce elections-related costs. I'm going to highlight now a few key investments that are in this budget. You can go to the next couple slides. So first, highlighting some of the investments around economic recovery and small business. So the three main changes to business taxes and fees that I referenced, first is to continue first year free, a program you're all very familiar with at this point, um, for another year. The second, is assuming that we adopt or asking you all to adopt tax changes that the mayor introduced to this body in March. And those changes would delay planned increases for certain sectors, including retail, restaurants, and entertainment. And it would also provide tax credits for new office-based businesses. And finally, there's a change to the commercial rent tax, which would eliminate a secondary tax on subleases, so not just leases, but also subleases um, in the commercial rent tax. Go to the next slide. So other investments around economic recovery and small business include funding to our small business grants pool, funding to continue downtown activations, including the Vacant to Vibrant program, funding for Powell Streets, Streetscape and storefront improvements. There's also a set aside in this budget of $3 million for activations and events in neighborhood commercial corridors, including a dedicated $1 million for the mission. There's investments, if you go to the next slide, in creating a city with clean and welcoming streets. That includes investing in our downtown welcome ambassador program that will have a targeted focus on high tourist and convention areas. We're expanding street cleaning operations in public works and through public works, continuing funding for the graffiti removal program as well as our pit stops citywide. On the next slide, I'm gonna highlight a few of the public safety investments. They include funding for all the new MOU costs that we've approved in the police department, the fire department, as well as in the Department of Emergency Management. There's additional overtime funding in this budget for the police department. Not all the overtime they asked for this year, but there is additional overtime funding so they can sustain current deployment levels citywide and allow for them to continuously run academy classes. There are also funding and staff investments in the Department of Emergency Management to improve dispatcher hiring, as well as coordinate citywide street response initiatives. Also on public safety, focusing on sort of our non-law enforcement alternatives, 
This budget continues funding our various community safety ambassador programs, all of which will be coordinated through the Department of Emergency Management. This includes retired police officers, our mid-market and tenderloin ambassadors, a new mission-specific cohort of ambassadors, and continued funding for the citywide OSEA ambassadors. This budget includes eight new park rangers to enhance unarmed public safety presence in popular open spaces, including here at UN Plaza and Civic Center. And then there's continued investments in our street response teams, including the SKIRT team, the SORT team, which focuses on opioid response, and the new HEART team that was just launched. Moving on to homelessness investments. Next slide. So this budget uses $98.6 million from the Our City, Our Home Fund, and it also reprograms general fund dollars so we can expand shelter beds, expand housing, and expand prevention slots. It does propose two-year changes, temporary changes, to the Our City, Our Home ordinance to allow for more flexible use of available dollars so we can advance the department's and the city's strategic plan goals while still funding all the committee's recommendations. In doing so, we are able to avoid shelter closures due to the expiration of state funds and also add nearly 600 net new shelter beds. On the next slide, a few more details about some of the funding and programs in homelessness. So I mentioned expanding shelter, and this includes expanding capacity within existing sites as well as funding new sites in the Bayview and a cabin project in the Mission. In housing, we're expanding rapid rehousing slots, offering new rental assistance subsidies, more permanent supportive housing units, as well as 250 affordable housing units that will be dedicated to formerly homeless residents. We're also adding more money per prevention, including 1,360 new prevention slots. And finally, there's funding for a number of other things to advance our goals to reduce homelessness. On behavioral health, next slide. We're leveraging $200 million from the RCDR Home Fund. There are no changes to the mental health allocation in that fund, and as well as sustaining our general fund investments to continue implementation of mental health SF priorities. We're leveraging over $100 million, or about $100 million, from the new opioid settlement funding to both support existing behavioral health programs, as well as launch new overdose prevention and opioid treatment programs. And that includes funding to open up to three new wellness hubs in the next few years. There's also funding in this budget to initiate CareCorp, which is a new state mandate to connect people struggling with untreated mental illness or substance use challenges to various court-ordered services. Moving on, a few more highlights here. So around children, youth, and families, some of the things that are included in this budget is funding for the Summer Together program, which will serve over 30,000 youth in this upcoming summer. This budget will launch the Student Success Fund with $11 million set aside for schools in the first year of the budget, and that grows to $35 million in the second year of the budget. That will be through DCYF. This budget continues our Early Educator Wage Initiative. It expands childcare vouchers, and it funds capacity expansion for childcare sites. We're also investing in food security in this budget, and there's at least $25 million to continue the community-based grocery and meal access programs that had started during COVID, and another $15 million in the second year of the budget. And other things that we're doing for community in this budget, slide 17. We recently negotiated new wages for IHSS workers, which will impact over 24,000 workers serving people in San Francisco. There are updates, and I'm on the next slide. 
There are updates to the minimum compensation ordinance to increase hourly wages for nonprofit workers to get to up to $23 an hour by 25-26. There's a cost of doing business increase in the budget for all general fund nonprofit contracts at 3% and an additional 1% for 4% total for all of our health and homelessness service providers. And finally, we are continuing the historic DreamKeeper initiative investments. A few other notes of things that we're doing in this budget. Um, we are funding our capital plan, albeit at lower levels than projected, with around $50 million, $59 million a year of cash-funded general fund. Um, and I am on the next slide. As well as $58 million in debt-financed projects. This budget includes funding for critical technology improvements for various citywide systems, including sustaining the new property management system in the assessor's office, the computer-aided dispatch system that's being updated through DEM, funding new hiring and onboarding improvements through the Department of Human Resources, and finally, funding of the new legislative management system that will be led by the Board of Supervisors. Finally, there's also funding in this budget to continue our citywide initiatives to reform hiring, contracting, and other financial reforms. All right, and I'm almost done here. So in sum, if we go to the last slide, this budget, it leverages various one-time sources, non-general fund revenues, as well as other changes, to invest in critical needs for San Francisco. With that, the long-term outlook still projects sizable deficits in the years to come, even without a recession. And so I'd like to close by just adding that the mayor's office, departments, and this board will need to continue identifying opportunities for budget savings and revenue sources in the years to come, and we look forward to working with you all to do that. So thank you. I can answer questions now, or um, we'll be discussing a number of these items in the days to come. Thank you, and um, I don't see any names on the roster at the moment. Um, I think let's start with public comment um, on this, and then if we noodle on this for a little bit, it's a lot to digest. Okay. Thank you, Madam Chair, members of the public who wish to speak on the, uh, on the interim, uh, interim budget ordinances. Uh, and, and are joining us in person should line up now. Uh, for those who have joined us remotely and haven't already done so, I'll press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you haven't been muted. And that'll be your signal to begin your comments. All right, if you could step up to the lectern, I could start your time. Hi, uh, my name is Marnie Regan. I use she, her pronouns. I'm with Larkin Street Youth Services. I'm also co-chair of HESPA and chair of the TAY subcommittee of HESPA. Um, we strongly oppose the mayor's plan to reallocate funds from the TAY and family um, Prop C allocations. Um, I noticed that wasn't mentioned in the, in the, proposal, in the um, presentation. Um, I'm hoping that the committee um, looks at the details of these um, sweeping these funds out of Prop C. It will severely um, impact the Tay and family systems of care to provide housing for our clients. Um, the bottom line impact of these reallocations will be an increased homelessness among young people and families with children, the most vulnerable of the homeless population. Um, we're concerned that at the after this two-year reallocation plan, roughly 150 youth will be able to be housed out of the uh, 1,100 that the pit count has counted. Um, the, the pit count has shown a steady decrease in youth homelessness since 2013 because the interventions that the TAY system of care provides works. Um, so it's kind of mind-boggling that the mayor would 
even consider moving funds out of the Tay and family allocations and heavily invest in adult shelter beds, which drastically reduces the impact that we're having and reducing youth and family homelessness. Um, I, on behalf of HESPA, we strongly oppose this and we ask that you um, ask the board not to approve this. Thank you. Thank you, Barney Regan, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Charles Defarge. I'm the director of policy at ECS Episcopal Community Services. We are also members of HESPA. ECS provides supportive housing to more than 2,000 formerly homeless San Franciscans, as well as interim housing, coordinated entry, behavioral health, and workforce development services to 10,000 unhoused and low-income people last year alone. I'm here to express our strong opposition to the mayor's proposed reallocation of our city, our home funds, away from the Tay and family housing and towards shelter expansion and adult rapid rehousing. So we do support investments in adult prevention and housing. What we don't support is that those programs come at the cost of much needed Tay and family housing. But putting aside for a second the policy implications here, the allocations within Prop C have been carefully planned over years of community processes, the voters of San Francisco approved these allocations and entrusted the oversight committee um, to determine how we should spend this money as a city. So this reallocation subverts both the voters' will and a long invested in community process. Thank you. Thank you, Charles DeFars, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hi all, good afternoon. Sherilyn Adams, Executive Director, Larkin Street Youth Services um, and co-chair of HSN. So first I want to just acknowledge that I understand this budget was like, obviously it's very, very tough year and lots of difficult choices have to be made. I appreciate the investment. HSN very much appreciates the investment in the cost of doing business for nonprofits um, and the additional 1% for, for behavioral health and homelessness. However, I strongly oppose the reallocation of uh, Prop C funds, our city, our home funds from Tay and families to, uh, to other investments, not that those investments are not important. I think it's really critical saying yes to that reallocation says yes to the increase in family and Tay homelessness. The new investments that will happen for Tay are a total of potentially 92 beds. That's it over the next two years. So once those beds happen, the bridge housing, the two proposed projects, there's no additional housing for young people that will be built or started in transitional other interventions. There will be a reduction in the rapid rehousing units under rising up. There will be only beds available if folks move out of the beds they are in. There are 75 young people at the Tay Nav Center. There are 40 at the Larkin on any given night. There are another 1,100 living outside. It's pretty clear math if we don't continue to invest in new housing for families in Tay. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl Adams, for your comments. Next speaker, please. I'm here for another item, but I wanted to talk about Tay housing. For the last, I would say, month or so, We've been fighting for justice for Banco Brown. This board has really led the way um, in trying to make people accountable. But I want to just make it clear that Banco Brown was a transitional age youth. Banco Brown was sleeping on the BART approximately a week before his death. 
So for the mayor to have a budget that cuts Tay beds and does not add be um, beds to Tay is almost tone deaf to what's happening in our city and especially in our black community. I'll, I'll add more what's happening in our black community because I'm just shocked the investment didn't have reparations on here in her actual budget for us to even be talking on the number five. But I really want us to think about that. We can't grandstand about justice for Banco Brown and more housing and stuff and then cut our transitional age youth beds and touch our city or our homes. It's a lot of things on that budget that I haven't went all the way through, but I want to just bring back the Banco Brown case and the fact that that was a transitional age youth and the fact that this city needs to invest more in transitional age youth and stop dealing with other outside rhetoric and have our focus on our children. Thank you. Thank you much for your comments. Next speaker, please. Um, good afternoon, Hope Kamer, Compass Family Services. Um, I'm the co-chair of the family subcommittee of HESPA. Taken together, my provider colleagues and I support over 8,000 homeless families every single year. Um, we strongly oppose the mayor's plan to reallocate funds away from homeless families in Tay um, in Proposition C. Uh, on Friday, June 2nd, last Friday, in the Homelessness and Behavioral Health Select Committee hearing, Chair Supervisor Ronan shared, and I quote, we are thrilled to share that the waitlist for family emergency shelter is at zero. I wish that was the case. That's not true. In this exact moment, there are 87 families on the emergency shelter wait list with quite literally nowhere to go. A yes vote on this change to Proposition C is a yes vote to keep these 87 families on the wait list. Thanks. Thank you, Hope Kamer, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Next speaker. I lost what I had written down, but I'm not good at that anyway. My name is Ariane Harrison. I'm the founder and ED of Marie Harrison Community Foundation, Inc. for Social and Environmental Justice, also a current Bayview resident. I've been there for decades. Um, I, I'm here because we do have a vast homeless problem, so I hear you, sister, and I agree with what you're saying. However, District 10 has been in a deficit forever. Since, 20, since 19, the 1940s, all the way up to 20. 23 and I want you guys to know that we have a crisis on our hand in District 10 District 10 needs more resources not less we have been avoided overlooked and act and act like we and, and sentenced to a life of dismissal over in District 10 for decades you guys cannot continue to avoid and act like District 10 and our residents are invisible they are not they need as much resources as possible as the rest of the city. Right now, we have a 98 percentile of respiratory, of respiratory lung disease amongst children and adults. We have a 92 percentile of, uh, of no, 98 percentile of cancer. That's almost 100 percent. And all of San Francisco concentrated in District 10. There is a reason for that. There is a 92 percentile of respiratory and lung disease and 98 percentile of cancer. And that's not just amongst African Americans. That's amongst uh, various different backgrounds and cultures that have living, been living in District 10 for a very long time. I'm trying to put something on your hearts and your minds. We have children to raise there. My grandkids were born there. And, and my, my mom, she has already passed and gone on to glory fighting the good fight. 
but we have to hear this continuously every year, that we are in a deficit or that there's a other problem with the city's neglect and, over, and, and the overseers of District 10. Please pour more Thank you resources much, and more. Thank you much, Arian Harrison, for your comments. I, I do apologize for cutting anybody off, but we are timing each speaker at two minutes. Uh, seeing no other speakers here in the chamber, uh, we did check we have three members of the public listening to this meeting right now and sorry five members of the public listening and three in the queue Miss Eganloff if you can uh, unmute our first caller please so supervisors again and again the most vulnerable segment of the population their funding has been cut. And I'm calling upon the controller, the budget analyst, and the city attorney that y'all are not going to be sitting there and doing nothing. You have to represent the people because our supervisors don't get it. And I'll tell you why they don't get it. Because they're not educated on issues. And then when the public comes, you give us a measly two minutes for public comment. A measly two minutes. So, Mr. Controller, you have to represent the people. Thank you very much. Thank you, Francisco DeCosta, for your comments. Ms. Eganloff, next speaker, please. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Please begin. Great, David Pilpel. Um, so just a couple of points, uh, or a few points. Uh, I support the Board of Supervisors uh, Legistar uh, replacement uh, project that I see in the uh, budget, which is great. Uh, I support more funding for the uh, Ethics Commission uh, to maintain uh, at least the charter mandated uh, functions and services, which I fear may not be possible with the proposed uh, allocation to ethics. I'm disappointed to see no major uh, cuts in uh, FTE account at the various uh, departments. I think there was an opportunity uh, now to uh, restructure and um, simplify given the, the budget um, outlook and instead that opportunity seems to not have been taken. Um, I did review the administrative provisions, the interim exceptions, and the proposed uh, transfers of functions, and I am fine with those. I think that was those were all well executed. And finally, I remind the board of the 30-day clock on proposed fee changes proposed by the mayor under Charter Section 2.109. Thanks for listening. Ms. Eganloff, next speaker, please. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Alicia Mayo. I am the founder of a nonprofit African American run uh, media agency called Clarity Media. I am a proud dream keeper. I am also saying thank you for closing the deficit and uh, advancing city needs to uh, continue to support children and mental health. Uh, safety and clean streets, shifting our priorities from one to another um, of more urgent needs and more immediate needs, including civil rights needs um, that involve people who are 
uh, challenge with food safety and housing issues like Banco Brown and other African Americans in San Francisco through Dreamkeeper Initiative and the possible Department of Reparations. That's what I'm calling about. I just want to say thank you for closing that deficit gap and just shifting the monies to where they need to be. We all know that uh, black people in San Francisco are desperate for food, housing, economic stability, and the need to support their lives on a daily basis to help reduce the interactions uh, with police and things like that. So, you know, being mindful of how the money is being used, I see that happening under the leadership of Mayor London Breed, and I appreciate all of you uh, on the Board of Supervisors for supporting what Black San Francisco needs. That's it. Thank you. Thank you much for your comments. Ms. Eigenlove, next speaker, please. Hi, uh, this is Carl Kramer, San Francisco Living Wage Coalition. Um, and uh, the rate of inflation, the increase in the CPI last year was 5.6%, which is what the uh, increase in the minimum compensation ordinance rate on July 1st is based on. Um, the, uh, it's only slightly going up above the, um, the minimum, what the minimum rate would have been uh, at um, uh, and. Uh, you know, we're, we're glad that there is funding in the budget for increasing the minimum compensation ordinance for city-funded nonprofit workers and for uh, IHSS home care workers and, for, uh, and to also make sure that the parents who are uh, in the CalWORKs program working in welfare to work programs are included. Um, the, uh, but there's not enough money for increasing wages for those who are above the minimum rate. Um, and so we need to have, an in, uh, as an add back, increased funding uh, for what's referred to as the cost of doing business increase that would provide for some of that wage compaction up above the minimum rate. Um, thank you. Thanks so much, Charles Kramer. Ms. Eigenlauf, next speaker, please. Uh, yes. Yes, my name is Larry Martin. And I am a resident of District 6, and I'm calling in to uh, give my support for the appropriation of, of $50 million uh, from the general fund. I'm pausing the speaker's time. The uh, Mr. Martin, uh, yeah. the, the item that you're talking about is item number five. We have, yet to, we have yet to call that item. So we are currently talking about the uh, interim budget and the uh, um, appropriation and salary ordinance. So if you can re redirect your, oh, your comments oh, toward okay. that. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So when is item number five? Is it? Oh, uh, no, we're currently okay. on items one and two. Oh, one and two, okay, all right. My bad, my bad. Okay, it's fine, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll speak to you later, uh, Mr. Larry Martin. Um, Ms. Eigenloff, next speaker, please. Oh, with that, uh, Madam Chair, that does complete our queue. Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Um, just wanted to just kind of see if, um, if the controller, Ben Rosenfeld, had anything to add to this interim budget. Uh, good afternoon, Madam Chair and members of the committee, Ben Rosenfield, City Controller. Just for the public to briefly describe the purpose of what the interim appropriation ordinance is, uh, the item that's actually being acted on here today. 
as, as you know, under the charter, the city adopts a final budget with the board's action and the mayor's signature at the end of July. However, our fiscal year begins on July 1st. And so the interim budget is the document that the mayor and the board adopt that give us permission to continue the operations of government for that month of July until you adopt a final budget. Uh, so that's really the purpose of the item that's here in front of you today. Um, the charter requires you to move it forward and adopt it as a board of supervisors by July 1 so we can continue to pay bills. So thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Colleagues, do you have any questions? And, um, and before we do that, uh, before I'm going to move to um, move these um, items uh, to the full board with recommendation, I would like to first um, see if we could uh, excuse Supervisor Safai until he returns. Second by Vice Chair Mandelman. Roll call, please. On that motion to excuse Member Safai until his return. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Uh, Member Walton. Aye. Walton, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. We have members Safai and Rona now excused. Thank you, and the motion passes. And with that, I would like to make the motion to move um, item one and two to full board with recommendation and, and as committee report. Thank you. On that motion. Uh, to forward both ordinances uh, to the full board with a positive recommendation as committee reports, Vice Chair Mandelman. And I seconded, and yes. Yes. Thank you so much, Mr. Vice Chair. Uh, Member Walton. Walton, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes with members Safai and Ronan uh, excused. Thank you. And with that, um, Mr. Clerk, please. So the motion passes. And with that, Mr. Clerk, um, please call item three and four together. Yes, items three and four. Her resolutions approving the fiscal year 2023 to 2024 interim and proposed budgets of the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure operating as a successor agency to the uh, San Francisco Redevelopment Agency. Uh, item number three is their interim budget and item number four is their proposed budget in approving the issuance by OCII uh, of bonds in an aggregate principal amount not, ex not to exceed 75 million for the purpose of financing a portion of OCII's enforceable obligations. Members of the public who wish to uh, provide comment on these resolutions should call 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID of 2592-893-1263, then press pound twice. And if you haven't already done so, please dial star three line up to speak. A prompt will indicate that you'll raise your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, today we have Thor Kalowski, Executive Director, uh, Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure here today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, greetings, uh, members of the Budget and Appropriations Committee. Um, as the Chair said, I'm Thor Kozlowski. I'm the Executive Director of the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure. And I'd like to go over uh, our fiscal 23-24 uh, budget with you. And we have a PowerPoint on this uh, device here. If we could have it up, please. Excellent, thank you. Um, so the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure uh, was created by the board through state dissolution law when redevelopment was dissolved in 2012. And so we operate in three major project areas, the neighborhoods of Trans Bay, 
Mission Bay and the Hunters Point Shipyard and Candlestick, which are operated sort of as a single uh, project, if you will. And across those three projects, we're going to produce about 22,000 units of housing, 400 acres of parks, and about 14 million square feet of uh, commercial space. Some of it is office. We're about midway through on our housing production. We've produced about 10,000 units so far. Um, we have a, a fair number of parks remaining to be built, over 300, and also about half of the uh, commercial production number uh, produced to date. So I just wanted to cover our major projects that we'll be undertaking in fiscal year 23-24. Um, beginning in Mission Bay, we'll be completing Parks 22, P22, which is the Bayfront Park adjacent to the Warriors Arena along Terry Francois Boulevard. That should be open. It's a five and a half acre park that should be open by the end of this year. Also, 1450 Owens is a life sciences uh, building that's being completed by ARE, which is a life sciences developer. That should be complete in 2024. And in housing in Mission Bay, we're going to complete Block 9A, which is facing Terry Francois Boulevard as well, next to the Mission Rock development, and that's 148 units of affordable home ownership. Also in Mission Bay, in Mission Bay two uh, large affordable housing blocks are being uh, in the pre-development phase, Blocks 12 and Blocks 4E. That will fit approximately 600 to 1,000 units of affordable housing and will be primarily funded by replacement housing if the legislation, SB 593, is passed by the legislature um, at, at the end of this year. This board um, passed an urging resolution um, to have the state, through Senator Wiener's office, pass uh, that legislation. You passed that in March of this year. So we thank you for your support on that. In, in the Trans Bay area, we'll be uh, beginning uh, the Trans Bay Park at Block 3, which is on Howard, which is between Howard and Folsom Streets off of Maine. It's a one-acre park on the former temporary terminal. There'll be some streetscape improvements along the side of that park as well. That park should begin construction uh, mid-next year. Also in parks in Trans Bay, the Underramp Park, we're going to come up with a better name once it's all completed. Um, that's along Essex between Folsom and Howard as well, and that's a two-and-a-half-acre park. And that park is planned to start construction in 2025, and we're in pre-design pre work now. Also in Trans Bay, we'll be funding, um, actually breaking ground next year, on 300 units of housing on the Trans Bay Temporary Terminal as well, on Block 2. In the Hunters Point Shipyard area, we're going to be breaking ground in the next 45 days on 180 units of affordable housing in the Hunters Point Shipyard. And then starting infrastructure by the end of the year on, on, on 400 units of housing, just the infrastructure part of that, and probably beginning con vertical construction in 2025. So those are our major work items, and I'll walk you through our budget. We're proposing a $712 million budget and that's a, a net reduction of about $1.6 million that we contributed towards closing the budget gap of $780 million. You'll see that about $330 million is being devoted to affordable housing, primarily through funding loans uh, with bond financing. 
as well as $178 million for parks and infrastructure improvements, as well as about $146 million for debt service, plus about $33 million in a tax pledge agreement with the Transbay Joint Powers Authority for them to fund their downtown extension. We have about 55 um, full-time equivalent headcount with a budget of under, just under $13 million for salaries, benefits, retirement, and health care. So all told, 90% of our budget goes to housing, parks, and infrastructure, and debt service to pay for the bonds that we issue to pay for these projects. We plan on issuing a $75 million bond in this fiscal year coming up. That bond will fund some of the affordable housing projects I just mentioned in Transbay, as well as the park program uh, in Transbay as well. This is a pie chart. Uh, the committee had asked for the representation of our budget in a pie chart. This pie chart just tracks the, uh, source, the, the uses in our um, budget, which I had showed you in a table previously. But you'll see that the blue half of our, pro half of our budget is devoted to affordable housing, the, about 30% in infrastructure and parks, and then debt, of course, is our third largest expenditure. This is a pie chart showing our sources of funding. Our, our funding is primarily through tax increment financing, which we issue bonds for. So you'll see our draw of property tax increment of $141 million and new bond issuances of about $127 million. I'll also uh, call your attention to the green pie, which is called prior period authority. And that's a feature of state law, dissolution law, with the Department of Finance, when we put our budget towards the when we submit it to the State Department of Finance, they want to know, are we using any prior period authority to fund our current activities? And so the answer is almost always yes. For example, the $75 million bond, we'll issue those bonds in the next fiscal year. We'll draw down that $75 million, and those are three and five year projects. So every year that you'll see in the budget for the fiscal year following 24-25, you'll see a portion of those bond funds in prior year period authority, because you gave that authority in this year. The committee also asked us to um, explain our performance um, and our activities. Again, we only, we only do three things, housing, excuse me, affordable housing, we do mixed income housing as well, parks and infrastructure. So this is our housing pipeline. You'll see on the far right uh, about 2,700 units that are completed and occupied. Those are projects that we've completed and transferred to the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. And then you see a variety of housing uh, units that are in various stages of development, including about 2,300 units that are primarily in the very, very, very early planning phases. Across our whole portfolio, we'll do about 7,100 units of affordable housing. Also the same for our park production. The only park that'll be delivered in 2023-24 will be park P22, which is the uh, Bayfront Park adjacent to the Warriors Arena. One of the key outcomes of our work is economic development. 
through small business contracting and local hiring. I think we've got one of the strongest programs in the city. Um, our goal is 50% small business enterprise goal for San Francisco businesses and local hiring of 50%. And since 2012, when OCII was created, we've administered nearly $6 billion of contracts, a portion of which have gone to San Francisco small business enterprises, and about 30% of the SBE pool was women and minority-owned businesses. We've also created about 50,000 jobs since 2012. The committee also asked us for an org chart, and so this is just showing us our various divisions. We have the project area uh, leadership, which is represented through major approved development project areas column, our affordable housing team, and then our second, lar our largest uh, portion of our agency is the finance administration. We have a fairly large uh, bond portfolio and a lot of uh, accounting uh, staff that are devoted to managing uh, that portfolio. The committee also asked us about our staffing and vacancies. You'll see here we have a number of vacancies that spiked uh, during COVID. Uh, many departments in the city had experienced the same thing. And the committee had asked us, what is your hiring plan over the next two years? So we've begun hiring, we've already hired about two people and plan to hire three more people in this fiscal year coming up. And over time, as projects um, pick up, we'll be probably hiring another eight people. The committee also asked us to look at a historic uh, staffing. So we've gone back about four years, and you'll see in 2021 to 2122 a spike in vacancies. Uh, this, is, of course, coincided with COVID. Um, and you see how it is beginning to decline as we've proposed in the next fiscal year. This is just acknowledging the mayor's budget direction to reduce spending. Again, we reduced spending about $1.6 million by using other sources of funds and also holding uh, vacant positions a little longer. And that concludes my presentation, Madam Chair. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing no names on the roster, let's go to public comment. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, members of the public who uh, wish to speak on uh, these two items uh, regarding OCII's uh, interim and proposed budget uh, should line up now. And uh, if you are waiting on the telephone line and you wish to speak, dial star three. My name, uh, this is Ariane Harrison, and I'd like to know if you guys uh, have been uh, provided with an environmental an environment. Sorry. If you're still waiting on the telephone line to provide public comment and you haven't already done so, please dial star three, line up to speak. Your prompt will indicate that you've raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, you may begin your comments. Um, apologize for that. I'd like to know if all of the district supervisors have been provided with an environmental impact report from, um, from OCII, number one. Number two, I'd also like to, to um, see if, if anybody has taken into consideration when it comes to the shipyard and all the radioactive chemicals and isotopes that are up underneath that ground, including strontium that is coming up projected presumably in, um, in District 10, 10's residence system. People are testing positive for PCI-24, uranium and plutonium exposure, including magnet, high levels of manganese and lead. So um, I just want to say that this is something that you need to take into, into account when you're doing your, uh, doing your planning for building, and especially on, uh, on land that is landfill. 
and um, take it into the projections of sea level rise that, will, that won't just be a health hazard for District 10 residents, but also other shoreline communities and the ecosystem and, and, uh, water, and life inside of the, uh, the, the water, the ocean and stuff. So these are something that I just wanted to bring up to you guys. Um, yes, I want beautiful spaces and parks, but I also want the work to be done safely. And, um, and I do believe in equity for our community. However, I do believe that there is a protocol of safety when you're, when you're handling or uh, uh, dealing with fugitive dust in those kind of environments. Seeing that we do have the highest levels of respiratory lung disease and cancer, in this city and, and uh, across the and across every other other uh, shoreline community, I think that you need to have a uh, have our people properly protected while they're doing that kind of work in that environment. Keep in mind that there's already been uh, been new residents that have successfully sued being on top of a, uh, a, a radioactive dump. They found radioactive markers and were awarded 6.8 million, I believe, or something like that for not being notified. Those are brand new condos that are not full. Speaker time has elapsed. Thank you so much, Arian Harrison, for your comments. Seeing no further speakers here in the chamber, it looks like we have six members of the public uh, waiting to speak with one in the queue. Uh, Ms. Eigenloff, if you can unmute or call her, please. Hi, this is Gloria Berry from District 10. What I would like to say is that the trend in what the city needs seems to be public safety, address homelessness, and address fentanyl, as well as housing. I do not see an outcry that with our 220 plus parks we have in San Francisco, that there is currently a great need for more parks. Parks are nice. Um, it will contribute to new developments, having an area of outside space. But if we are truly in a deficit and quality of life issues are um, in importance, I believe the parks can be put on the back burner until we have an increase in funds for our city. Also, I would like to encourage this uh, affordable housing bill that keeps getting ringed as a reason to build more that is never stated that they will be deeply affordable. And I'm concerned with the mayor's new um, initiative to have low income qualify at $176,000 for these affordable units that once again, people who are at a lower income will not benefit from this type of housing. So other than that, I yield my time. Thank you, Gloria Berry, for your comments. Um, Ms. Segenloff, do we have any more uh, commenters on the line? Madam Chair, that completes our queue. Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Uh, colleagues, I would like to uh, send these two items, item three and four, with recommendation to full board. Second by Vice Chair Mendelman. Um, Mr. Clerk, roll call, please. On that motion, uh, to forward the interim budget resolution in item number three through, uh, to the June 27th meeting of the full board and the proposed budget resolution in item four to the July 11th meeting of the full board with pos positive recommendation. Vice Chair Mendelman. Aye. Mendelman, aye. Member Safai. 
Safai, I remember Ronan. Oh, sorry, sorry. Ronan, excuse, member Walton. Walton, I, Chair Chan. I. Chan, I. We have four eyes. Remember uh, Ronan, excused. Thank you, and the motion passes. And Mr. And <laughs> Mr. Clerk, could you please call item number uh, five? Yes, item number five is an ordinance appropriating 50 million of general fund general reserves to the Human Rights Commission to establish the Office of Reparations and to implement approved recommendations in fiscal year 2022 to 2023. Members of the public who wish to provide a public comment uh, should call 415-655-0001 with a meeting ID of 2592-893-1263 then press pound twice. Uh, please dial star three line up to speak and when the prompt indicates that you have raised your hand, that will be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, and uh, as the sponsor of this legislation is Supervisor Shamar Walton, and uh, uh, Supervisor Walton, before I hand it over to you, just want a reminder, a reminder that there is a BLA report. If we, so colleagues, if we can hold off our questions and comments until after the presentation and the budget and legislative analyst report, then we can go into the discussion. And the floor is yours, Supervisor Walton. Thank you so much, Chair Chan, and thank you so much to the committee. On March 14th, this Board of Supervisors unanimously approved the resolution to accept the draft report of the African American Reparations and Advisory Committee or Reparations Task Force. Also at that very same meeting, this Board of Supervisors unanimously committed to supporting reparations because of the harms done to black people in San Francisco. I want to thank all of the task force members, the Human Rights Commission under the direction of Dr. Cheryl Davis and Brittany Chiquata, and the entire community for their continued support of this work. I want to send a super thanks to this entire Board of Supervisors for their support and commitment. I do have a few snippets of the amazing words from my colleagues that I would like to replay for the public because these words are extremely powerful. Mr. Hsu, if you could share the video, please. Uh, but I, for one, think that this board, uh, this mayor, and future incarnations of the executive and legislative branches of this city have to address this, have to reckon with, uh, and ultimately apologize for what those who preceded us uh, did Very knowing. Simple. As the board's budget committee chair, I think we just need to get to work and may this be the guiding principle for uh, this budget year. So a reminder for myself and my colleagues, uh, both on the budget appropriation and budget finance committees, there are a lot of decisions ahead of us. Let's put our money where our mouth is, just very simple to that. Um, and so when we vote on it, let's just be honest <laughs> to what we're voting on and whatever we fight for in terms of funding, supplementals, and upcoming budget, just keep in mind what we committed to the community today uh, based on the plan that is before us and just keep it honest with our vote. Thank you. I want you to know that you have uh, my 100% support and commitment uh, to implementing Quite frankly, all 111 of these recommendations, they are all warranted. Uh, for those who are obsessed with numbers, um, I will say this. There is no question in my mind that doing nothing on reparations costs far more 
than funding reparations, regardless of what that number is. And that is both true in terms of lives and in terms of financial costs. Um, so as I sit here listening to these discussions and consider them as I review the Reparations Committee report, um, and I'm fundamentally asked, not the question that the national media and especially the right-wing media wants to ask about one of a 111 recommendations, but when I'm asked basically what I think is the fundamental question here, which is whether the, the horrors of slavery upon which this country was founded, which have oppressed, beaten down, and killed black Americans for centuries, including the related horrors of Jim Crow, lynchings, police abuse, voter suppression, urban renewal, redlining, black displacement, mass incarceration, grotesque disparities in health outcomes, and as uh, Dr. Brown noticed, spoke to earlier on the steps of City Hall at the rally, uh, gross disparities in life expectancy here in San Francisco, and everything in between. The question before us is, does that warrant rep reparations? Yes. And, yes. and my answer is, of course. Of show me course. how I show up here. Show me how I show up for you. Just tell me, and it's worked. And I've said to Cheryl Davis, show me how I show up for you. And that's what I intend to do, is show me how I show up for you on this, and I listen, and I'm really looking forward to showing up, so thank you. In a decline and near erasure of the black population, our city was 13% black in 1970, now it's barely 5%. Reparations for these injustices are warranted. I support finding bold, meaningful, and creative ways to address the injustice of slavery and systemic discrimination suffered by generations of black Americans. Let's heal historic injustices while building sustained wealth for communities long denied that opportunity. I look forward to voting to approve uh, this report. <laughs> while while some of the recommendations have received outsized media attention, um, these are items that I know we can all agree on. We can all agree that no mother, no child, babies should die as a result of childbirth. We can agree that all children should be ready for kindergarten. We can all agree that teenagers should be safe from harm and have equal access to opportunities for educational achievement. We can agree that opportunities for home ownership should be distributed across all communities, particularly those that have been purposely and intentionally kept out. We can all agree that entrepreneurs who make our city vibrant and strong should have access to capital particularly those that have been systematically excluded from accessing it because of the color of their skin. We can all agree that people should be paid for their work, that they ha should have equal access to well-paying jobs and workers' rights. We can all agree that the color of one's skin should not dictate exposure to toxic waste. The recommendations in this committee's report are common sense. 
good governance and in line with San Francisco and values. Thank you, uh, in part, because I do think it's important for each of us to, um, to express our commitment to reparations, um, which I think is shared by every single person on this board. Um, I want to echo and associate myself with some of the very um, thoughtful comments of some of my colleagues, and I want to thank um, everyone who has been involved in, uh, in getting us to this point in the that process. It's never too late to right a wrong. And that's why I think this is something that we all have to do our part in our generation to fulfill the promise of what the United States of America is supposed to be. We have a responsibility in this, in our generation, to do that um, and in generations to come. And I'm proud of the work that you've done. I'm proud to be an ally in this. And you can count on me in this fight. So beginning this conversation today is an important conversation. Thank you for coming out so strong. And if not San Francisco, the wealthiest city in the United States, where is it going to happen? Where is the step going to be made? Because this is the wealthiest city in the United States that has benefited from institutional racism and undermined this community. So let's get on with the conversation and thank you for all the work that you all have done. Thank you so much to the clerk's office for making sure that was queued up. Uh, what, what you all just witnessed was not something that we... Apologies. What you all witnessed just now was not something that was rehearsed, but it was a commitment made by all of my colleagues on this board of supervisors, which I greatly appreciate. And I just wanted the public to see again uh, the beautiful words that were shared by my by my colleagues during that particular March 14th Board of Supervisors meeting. And this board's deep commitment and understanding of why we have the inequities that exist in this city for the black community is key to achieve reparations here in San Francisco. So today we'll have some brief remarks from the, pres the chair of the African American Reparations and Advisory Committee. We'll hear from the budget and legislative analysts whom I wanna say thank you so much for your thorough report on this proposed supplemental. And then of course we'll hear from the public and then we'll continue to have conversation and discussion. Uh, as we know this supplemental is put in place in order to create an office of reparations that will continue the work of the task force which will sunset pretty soon. Uh, it's in order to fully staff the office provide administrative and fiscal support to continue to work, provide resources to research individuals who will qualify per the committee's final recommendations for programming and in order to fund some of the approved recommendations. And now we have the chair of the reparations task force, Mr. McDonald, you have the floor. Thank you, Supervisor Walton. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Chair Chen and members of the Budget and Appropriations Committee. Uh, Eric McDonald, honored to be the chair of the Reparations and Advisory Council, uh, and really pleased to be here. This is, I would argue, a moment we've all been waiting for. And I say that because as the committee has uh, been about doing the work, um, we are regularly asked, how is that work going? And I've responded by saying the work, uh, the hard work of chronicling the harm, living up to the call of the ordinance 
is heavy and hard, but ask me that question again when we come to the point of having to make decisions. Um, and we're at one of those really important moments. And so again, appreciate being here before you today. A special thank you to the ordinance sponsors, Supervisors Walton, Preston, and Ronan. As you all know, um, the African American Representative Advisory Council has worked very hard with and on behalf of the black community in San Francisco to deliver on the charge stipulated in the ordinance that created the committee, namely um, to advise the Board of Supervisors, Mayor, the Human Rights Commission, and the public on the development of a San Francisco reparations plan that one chronicles the legacy of American chattel slavery, post-Civil War government-sanctioned discrimination against African Americans, and ongoing institutional discrimination that has prevented the enslaved and their descendants from fully benefiting from the growth of the U.S. economy with an emphasis on system, systemic, excuse me, city-sanctioned discrimination that has adversely impacted the lives of black San Franciscans. Two, determines the scope of, of an eligibility for a citywide reparations program and the means of dispersing reparations in order to make whole those who have been wronged or who continue to suffer harm from past wrongs, to close racial wealth gaps, and to address ongoing discrimination, anti-black prejudice, and inequities. Three, to improve education, housing, workforce development, economic opportunities, financial stability, small businesses, transit access, and food security, while reducing violence, health disparities, and overcriminalization experienced by black people. And finally, uh, examines current and historic structural discrimination within the city and county of San Francisco. And as you all know, the committee is nearing completion of a final report that will be submitted to the full board and the city. And in completing the assignment, the committee determined that an essential component of the plan is to ensure that there are sufficient resources dedicated to the enablement, the implementation of all the recommendations. And this is the basis for the supplemental ask. We ask that you not pathologize the black community as many in the media and public have done. We know more than anyone in this city uh, the realities of budget restrictions and constraints and how they impact our quality of life, safety, and systems. We're not ignorant to the challenge of holding fiscal responsibility for repairing harm while holding responsibility to protect vital services in San Francisco. The supplemental ask is intended to anchor the commitment that each of you made verbally, as we just heard, through the establishment of an office of reparations and staffing that will allow us to operationalize the eligibility process and recommendations uh, that have been made. And while the city grapples with housing, public safety, mental health, fentanyl overdoses, transportation and food access, and a litany of other challenges, the disparities of black San Francisco has been the bedrock of funding responses in all of these areas. And so I would also remind the committee that investments in repair and redress, which is the very definition of reparations, are unique and distinct from all other investments from the city that benefit black folks. And we'd ask that you not compare or contrast those. This stands alone as a response to the debt uh, that is, sits at the feet of the city and county of San Francisco. 
And as I stated earlier, a moment ago, the supplemental ask is intended to anchor the commitment that each of you here today, along with your other colleagues, made at the March hearing. If there is no infrastructure or capacity to operationalize and implement the recommendations in the report, then you relegate the hard work of the community and the committee uh, to stacks of prior reports which re had recommendations but went nowhere. The creation of the Office of Recommendations is a vital step to ensure that actions take place. We too appreciate the work, uh, the hard work of the um, budget and legislative analysts and the assessment of resources necessary to enable uh, the beginning steps of implementation of the recommendations. In addition to the assessment that Proposition 209 does not prohibit the city from investing in communities that have been historically marginalized, underinvested in, and disenfranchised. Sadly, black San Franciscans, past and present, fit that description. Therefore, this request, we believe, is warranted and necessary. And so finally, we hope that the uh, expressions of support, unanimous, um, were not just platitudes. And so here we are at a moment of demonstrating whether those were or were not. Budgets are statements of values and priorities. And through this supplemental, we are asking that you value black lives, past and present, and that you prioritize repairing the harms that have been experienced at the hands of the city and county of San Francisco. And to quote our Chair Chen, let's put our money where our mouth is. This is what the committee and the community expects. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, Chair McDonald. And now we will hear from Dan at the Budget and Legislative Analyst Office. Good afternoon, Chair Chan, uh, Supervisor Walton, members of the committee. Dan Goncher with the Budget and Legislative Analyst's Office. Item five is a proposed ordinance that would appropriate $50 million of general fund general reserve for the establishment of the Office of Reparations under the Human Rights Commission. In 2020, the Board of Supervisors passed an ordinance establishing the San Francisco African American Reparations Advisory Committee to advise the board, the mayor, the Human Rights Commission, and the public on the development, adoption, and implementation of a San Francisco reparations plan. The advisory committee's draft report was published in December 2022 and details an extensive history of racial discrimination in San Francisco against black residents and businesses. One of the advisory committee's recommended actions is to create an office of reparations within the city as a measure of community accountability to implement the advisory committee's recommendations. Other advisory committee recommended actions include programming not currently provided by the city. Based on our review of the organizational chart of the Human Rights Commission and scope of the advisory committee's draft recommendations, we estimate that the city staff necessary for the creation of the Office of Reparations would include one manager, an 1824 principal administrative analyst, one policy analyst, an 1823 senior administrative analyst, and one community staff person, a 9774 senior community development specialist one. In addition, we estimate approximately $200,000 per year in cost for professional services, such as legal, actuarial, and other specialized research, prorated at 50% in year one of the office, as well as funding 
for administrative support for the office based on 15% of city staff costs. As shown in Exhibit 2 on page 4 of our report, we estimate two-year costs to be $1.6 million, with $48.4 million of the proposed appropriation remaining for programming, which would be informed by the task force recommendations and Human Rights Commission, Commission Director. Given the scope of the Advisory Committee's draft recommendations, the proposed $50 million would not be sufficient to implement all recommended actions. It would, however, provide an opportunity to pilot new programming. If the Board of Supervisors approves the appropriation from the General Reserve to establish the Office of Reparations and implement the Advisory Committee's recommendations, the General Reserve balance uh, would be reduced by $50 million. Any uses of the Reserve during the current year, fiscal year 22-23, would, will increase the rec required deposit in the budget year fiscal year 2023-24 by a like amount. And we consider approval of the proposed ordinance to be a policy matter for the Board of Supervisors because it would fund the establishment of a new division of the Human Rights Commission to implement new programming. Thank you, and we're available for questions. Thank you so much, Dan. Uh, I don't have any questions right now for uh, the BLA or for Chair McDonald. I don't know, colleagues, if you have any questions at this point. Yep, let's go to public comment. Mr. Clerk, let's go to public comment. Thank you, Madam Chair. Members of the public who wish to speak on this ordinance and are joining us in person should line up now. However, uh, for those who have joined us remotely and haven't already done so, press star three if you wish to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been admitted and that will be your signal to begin your comments. Uh, I'll start your time once you begin speaking. Hi, Jeffrey and Morris. Um, the, the whole United States is looking at San Francisco right now and California. And so let me tell you is that that committee has done an amazing job for two years, have invested to put forth a document that really needs to be supported by the city. And if you all, I know I can already imagine what will be said is that we don't have the money or we're in a tight position, but you found money for the police. Why can't you find money for the black community and the community that has been most harmed and the community that you spend most of your dollars trying to um, incarcerate, uh, lock up and continue to make homeless. So I wanna make sure that you all know is that the black community is tired of being pandered. That's what it is. When I, when I watch that video, if something doesn't happen, if you don't even, he said 1.6 million, it is nothing to a $14 billion budget to create the office of reparations. You know we need to create a database to start making people eligible. You know that we need at least phase one to know who is actually eligible to start being a recipient for all of those recommendations. I applaud um, Supervisor Walton for really pushing the line. I mean, we're tired of having people in black faces or around election time come and pander to our community. 2024 is a big election. And 
we may not only have 5% in San Francisco, but the whole Democratic Party needs the black community to come out largely in 2024. And if reparation is not manifested in California, what does it say to those red states? Don't even bother because you guys are using us. And so I beg of you to, to do something. Thank you so much, Jeffrey and Mars, for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Sorry, in here, sitting in. We, we, we support reparations, and we also think you need to say what you mean and mean what you say. That means that you can't, you can't use political jargon and come out and say all those wonderful things and not support the effort. We're watching. The whole world is watching. Your voters are watching. And we, yes, we vote. We vote. And we want to make sure that, you, that the proof is in the pudding, that you mean what you say, you say what you mean. And the only re way that you can do that in the and it be evident that you guys are following through because the whole world is watching is to do exactly what Shimon Walton is asking you guys to do, is to put that office in place. Those people did a lot of hard work, a lot of research to put that together for you guys. And for it to do anything less would just be a joke across the nation. Thank you, Arianne Harrison, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hello, my name is Tanya Randell. I am with the Marie Harrison Community Foundation. Reparations to me means that we're rec recognized, that we are human, that we deserve just as much as anybody else. That's been said, but it has not been in action. Everyone in this room knows someone who has been discriminated against. But the black people of this country is, have always been at the bottom. First there's black men, then there's black women. At the very least, we need to be supported in this action. I support everything these, these people have said, and I trust that you will do what is right for this community because we are still suffering, especially in District 10. We are still suffering the harm of who gives a damn about those people over there. But what happens to us, I guarantee you, will happen to you next. If there's a flood where we live, it will flood where you live. If there's an earthquake where we live, you will get hit by it too. It doesn't matter where you are in this city or not. We need to stand together to recognize that we are human. Everyone is human. Everyone deserves the dignity of being recognized for the pain that has been put on them. So that's what I have to say. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you much, Tanya Rendell, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hi, everyone. My name is Siobhan Hines Foster, and I would just like to come and say um, I would like to urge the board to support this ask. I know me personally, I was born and raised in District 10, but I took the stern decision to go to college. But I know coming from District 10, many of us don't get the opportunity to go to college and we also don't have the resources to go to college. My mom is a small business owner, so you can imagine running a small business, you probably don't have enough money to pay 40K a year to send your daughter to college. So reparations can work to help communities like mine. But in addition to, it can work to help communities of San Francisco, especially black communities, especially black LGBTQ communities, and especially communities that are poor. Um, we've seen based on recent events that people need to be housed, people need access to education, and people also need 
access to healthcare. So if recent events, events throughout history don't show that we need reparations, I don't know what will. And like Ms. Joffrey Amore said, 2024 is a big election and I'm not giving my vote to nobody if they're not doing the work. So thank you. Thank you, Siobhan Hines Foster for your comments. Next speaker, please. Uh, Ken from San Francisco. Um, I walked away from an international relations program emphasizing conflict resolution on account of multiple instances of racial discrimination, not in relation to peers, but uh, expressed by very, uh, various professors. Um, so we're aware that San Francisco has more than her fair share of glaring social issues and symptoms. Ideally, however, um, Unless someone is crippled, seriously injured, infirm, suffering prolonged disease, or cognitive and psychological shortcomings, they should seek as little aid, support, or personal dependence as possible from the state. There are matters, issues, and occasions that, that of course, do require government mediation. They should be the exception, never the rule, and apply judiciously. The primacy of rights and responsibilities of individuals is par paramount wherever individuals are capable a sound mind and rational mental faculties. Where possible, individuals should strive towards individuation and independence as opposed to subsumed in social categories, racial categories, group identities, and uh, uh, for political convenience at the interpersonal level, um, people should be seen for character, warts and all. Many years ago, I had the privilege of uh, listening to the late South African leader, Nelson Mandela, speaking to a full crowd at the Oakland Coliseum. I was inspired by uh, the occasion to read uh, social, uh, South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission report closely as a result. Um, I couldn't imagine at the time that it would one day exercise an opportunity to visit Africa and discuss my thoughts with uh, representatives of the Southern African Development Community and Economic Bloc comprised of 16 African nations as well as off officers representing non-member states, Uganda and Rwanda in a meeting presided over by the former um, Tanzanian Prime Minister, former UN Security Council head, and then acting UN envoy, the eminent uh, Dr. Salim Ahmed Salim. At the time, uh, Rwanda had been holding a long siege on the Congolese airport. Thank you much, Ken, for oh. uh, addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Hello, all. Hello, Chair Chan. Um, thank you, Supervisor Walton, for making this an item that I was surprised, actually, this soon we'd be able to have some action, so I thank you for that. I am a member of the Reparations Committee. I serve in seat seven, which is someone who was formerly homeless. I was homeless for three years. I'm a veteran. Let that sink in. So... Budget process is agonizing, we all know this, but it comes to a point of insanity when we keep thinking of what can be done to help a community that faces the most disparities and see year after year what has previously been done does not work. This body was formed because we have people who've been harmed by policy in this city and we need to visit that harm and do what the community says will repair that. Please tell me that this body that met for two years was not just for uh, someone's campaign material or, or some type of um, feather in their hat. You know, please tell me that all the harm we experience meeting 
listening to the public, revisiting our personal harms from the past, present, and the future. My daughter just got outpriced San Francisco last week, you know, so please tell us that this work wasn't in vain, that our report's not gonna end up on a shelf somewhere like the past three reports, and that this progressive Board of Supervisors will do the right thing, be a lead for the state who's looking at us, the country who is looking at us, and the world. Other countries are looking at us and will model their reparations plan after us. Please pass this, thank you. Thank you so much for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Hello, board. I am Tiffany Carter, co-founder of SF Black Wall Street. I've also sat on a reparation task force for the last two years. I'm asking that you do not let our work go in vain. I run a small business here right in the TO. I have to close early so I can come here because it's important to get this passed. Um, a lot of small businesses are closing, <laughs> especially ones that, with faces that look like me. It is very, very important that this is passed. We wanna see some of those recommendations um, pass ASAP. I'm tired of telling you guys um, which, what was done. Everyone knows what was done to African-Americans in this city, in this country. The world is looking at San Francisco and you guys are gonna have to prove exactly who you are. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Uh, Carter, for your comments. Last call for any speakers. My name is Ron Carter. Since 2008, I have been crafting websites with the theme called American Economic Recovery Project Foundation International. There are about 24 of these companies launched on Facebook. I've tried very hard to get them off the ground, but I met up with homelessness, jail, incarceration, every kind of human tragedy that could happen to a handicapped uh, individual uh, has happened to me. The greatest dream that I hope for this reparations movement that would come out is that I would be empowered to finally get these companies off the ground. There's Asian, African, Irish, Scotch, German, Polish, everybody, every racial group, every national ethnic group in America is represented that I have created a website for. And I, my intent is to hope to make those, those websites work. The purpose for me, the end of the story for me, is hopefully that reparations will play out into something that I'll have enough money to pay for all the filing fees and all the things that are necessary, 501c3 fees, business fees, etc and then to farm these companies out to the community at large and give them over to other people to operate. Because at 70 years old, I'm tired, I'm wore out, and I'm weary. My only thing I hope to do is make sure that the companies I've created are functional and operational and within the city's hands to give it support. So I hope you will make good so I can bless and give back to the community, uh, you know, those things that I have so zealously worked for. Thank you, Ron Carter, for addressing this committee. Seeing no further speakers here in the chamber, we have 13 members of the public listening in on this meeting with nine in the queue. Uh, Mr. Agnell, if you can admit our caller, please, our first of our callers. 
Hi, my name is Dee Dee Hewitt. I'm honored to be here, and I commend you all for your efforts. I am here on behalf of both the Black Leadership Forum and the Sharon Hewitt Empowerment Resource Organization. Number one, I applaud your efforts, but there is no conscionable, conscionable vote other than to support the 100 recommendations of this reparations effort and to support the funding of initiating the work. So let's be very clear. That is a must. And also your continued commitment to seeing it through beyond this. This is just the first step. And yes, as many people have stated, not only in the San Francisco and the California stage, but on the world stage. You are the mavericks. This is your mark and point in time in history to correct the disparate impact on African Americans and remedy the wrongs. On your mark, get set, go. I expect great things from you. And thank you very much, Sharon Walton, for your leadership in supporting this effort and all of you who supported it. Thank you. Thanks so much, Dee Dee Hewitt, for joining us today. Mr. Ignat, next speaker, please. Hi, my name is uh, James Taylor. I'm a professor at the University of San Francisco for the past 25 years. I'm on seat one of the San Francisco African American Reparations Committee, and that's the uh, academic or the scholarly seat. Um, I just want to give the, the board, uh, the Budget and Appropriation Committee members, a sense of history. Uh, since 1899, nothing like this has actually been done, and there have been many smaller efforts here and there. If you uh, promote and support this, and I encourage each of you to vote yes, there's nothing that you're going to do, and this is not to diminish anything else that you're doing or other needs or emergencies or communities, but it is to say that there's probably nothing that any one of you will do or vote for for the rest of your careers, whether you become mayor, governor, senator, that will be as important to history as you will cast up this vote. This, you, you will be a history-making person because this is big history. And as everyone else has said, the world is watching. Um, our enemies are, are think, think, you know, we're, we're being played with, uh, you know, politically. Um, you've been bold on gay marriage. You've been bold on conscientious objection. You've been bold on sanctuary. We, they, we urge you to be bold on reparations and understand that you have been put in your position for a time such as this. You, this moment is calling you to stand up and say yes and support the community. We've been working hard. We've all had to go through the pain of, of going through the data of what our people have suffered. There's so much pain in our community. And we've seen other people get funded. We've seen other projects get funded. We've seen people getting tax breaks and, and different kinds of advantages. We need to fill more heritage center. That's, that's the next big thing we need. But we have seen you know, funding going here and there, and it's not to you know, begrudge anyone else, but Chair Ken and, and Supervisor Walton, I, I cannot commend you enough. I've been studying black politics for 30 years. Brother, you are one of the most important black politicians alive. Time has what left. you are doing is inspiring people all over the world. Thank you much, James Lance Taylor, for joining us. Uh, and again, I do apologize for cutting anybody off, but we are timing each speaker at two minutes. Uh, Mr. Ignan, next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Gwendolyn Brown. I am a longtime OMI resident, and I've been in seat 10 on the Reparations Task Force. Today, I'm asking that you all follow through on your commitment to reparations by supporting a supplemental ask of $50 million to establish the Office of Reparations under the HRC. 
along with over 100 recommendations in our draft report, this particular ask lends towards one of the pivotal and anchoring recommendations in, the, in our report, which is to create an office of reparations within the city that has a measure of a community accountability to implement these ARAC recommendations. We are asking the Board of Supervisors who spoke unanimously in support of reparations to put their money where their mouth is and make an intentional step towards implementation of repairing the harmful government policies that have led to the overwhelming disparities Black San Francisco face here in 2023. Thank you, I yield my time. Thank you much, Gwendolyn Brown, for addressing this uh, committee. Mr. Ignow, next speaker, please. Hi, yes, yeah, thank you. Uh, good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Rahman Jamal. I represent a international nonprofit called Hip Hop Congress, and uh, we are part of the SF Block. And uh, I also have uh, our uh, representative, Lonnie Green, on the line with me. I want to speak, I, I echo everything that's already been said. I don't want to repeat um, uh, same information. I do want to speak on behalf of the artist community as well as um, the hip hop generation, if you're not already aware. Uh, hip-hop is celebrating its 50th year as a culture, um, and, but indicative of the sort of uh, San Francisco that America pretends does not exist uh, that James Baldwin identified so early on, um, there's a history of black artistry that has is been completely uh, looked over by the mainstream billion, multi-billion dollar hip-hop industry. And um, one of the initiatives that uh, we're working with the city of San Francisco and the artists in the community is uh, hip-hop education. As we know, there's years of over two decades of research showing how arts education, particularly urban arts education or hip-hop education, uh, heals young people, uh, uh, reduces violence. Um, we've had amazing uh, work in uh, incarcerated spaces um, and people that are really living this. Um, I want to uh, pass the mic over to Lonnie Green because we uh, also are an international organization. Next week, we'll be bringing all of our leaders learn from uh, San Francisco uh, organizers, and uh, uh, we want to invite every one of you out to experience what we are going to do moving forward regardless, but this would definitely help. And Lonnie, if you got anything to add, um, I'll, I'll yield over to you. Well, we what? just have two minutes, and that's, that's good. Thank you. Go ahead. That's it. I just want to say thank you. We only have two minutes, so I appreciate everybody. Uh, reparations, thank you so much. I feel so blessed to be here today. My grandmother would be very proud of every single person that's been doing the things they've been doing, being a, ch a child from the delected and the things, couldn't read, write, or spell, been through every situation from the system, from juvenile on up, understanding being a graduate of the juvenile B1 program and more. We'll talk later, but thank you, everybody. Thank you, and we hope you uh, uh, come to our events next week at the Bayview Opera House as well as our yacht next next Thursday. You're all invited. Thank you. Thank you much, uh, Rachman Jamal and Lonnie Green, for both of your comments. So that's looking stable, okay? It does have the chance to be progressive, okay? But so far, so good. I don't see any changes as far as the thickness of your cornea, your vision is the same. You may notice some fluctuation in your vision that's normal, okay? Um, but we just keep an eye on it. Um, so I want to see back in six months just okay. to check on that, okay? Dilation every year, but checking on the cornea every six months just to make sure the thickness stays stable and that the vision is not changing significantly, okay? okay. Uh, hello, caller. Uh, we 
You are now addressing the uh, Budget and Appropriations Committee. If you want to provide your comments. Okay, Mr. Agnew, it appears that uh, it might be an unattended line if we could return to that uh, line a little later when they're paying attention. Good afternoon, uh, Supervisors. My name is Efraín Barrera, and I'm calling in support of the uh, reparations. Uh, the Latino community stands in solidarity with the black community. This is a long overdue uh, um, program. Uh, we, the Latino community, understand that the success of our black kids, our black families, is the success of all of us. The statistics speak for themselves. Black children have been failing. Black small businesses have been closing. Black families have been priced out. So this is a long overdue uh, action. So I, uh, I encourage you to vote in favor of the black reparations and the, um, the creation of the reparations uh, departments within the HRC. Um, we uh, look to you. Uh, history will be looking to you for the actions that you take. Uh, your actions will set the course for uh, the success of the black community and uh, their allies. So again, I urge you on the behalf of the Latino community to vote yes on this request. Thank you. Thank you much, Efren Barrera, for uh, addressing this committee. Mr. Ignat, next speaker, please. I, record, I started recording it, channel 26. Hello, speaker, we do hear you if you want to address this committee. Okay, Mr. Ignat, it looks like this is an attendant line as well. Uh, perhaps we can come back to the speaker. Mr. Ignat, next speaker, please. Okay, maybe an unattended line also. Uh, next speaker, please. Oh. Hello, speaker, we do hear you. Good afternoon. Hi, hello. Um, good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Naima Charles. I am a District 3 resident. I'm calling in support of this proposal to establish the Department of Operations. I wanna thank the Reparations Committee for all the work they've put into these proposals over the last year, few years. Um, our black children deserve better. Black children start kindergarten with lower kindergarten readiness levels than most of their peers. It just starts way too early. And so um, child care investments are essential, but um, black children and families um, furthermore need a holistic approach to truly solve and meet the needs of the black community. And that is what the Department of Reparations will and seeks to do. So this uh, department is really important to the black community, especially black children. Um, these proposals will really uplift the community overall. And so thank you to all the supervisors and support and a special thank you to Supervisor Walton for your unwavering passion and commitment to the black community, your bravery and your leadership on this effort. It has really been very heartening to see. Thank you. Thank you much, Naomi Charles, for addressing this committee. Mr. Agnew, next speaker, please. Hello, good afternoon. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Please begin. Yeah, my name is Alberto Hernandez. 
and uh, I'm a native of San Francisco, born and raised here in the Mission District. And when I grew up, you know, I grew up with Samoans, Filipinos, African Americans, Latinos, Irish, Italians, and uh, I remember going to the Fillmore to eat the most delicious food. My African American brothers and sisters cooked in their homes and their restaurants. I played music, so I, I went there to learn how to learn jazz. And as an adult, you know, enjoyed all the different jazz clubs that existed there. But I watched how it was criminal, how the government of San Francisco displaced so many of the African-American brothers and sisters from the Fillmore in the name of redevelopment and promised to bring them all back, and they never did. And then I watched in Hunter's Point all my African-American brothers and sisters being poisoned and being put in in land that was poisoned, toxic land, and how many of them got sick throughout the years, and some of, some of them died. And so I am calling today to, to support my African-American brothers and sisters. This is way overdue. And it's about justice, and it's time to do it. I also believe that it's important that we also honor and remember our Native American brothers and sisters. And so we should also be looking at how do we uh, do justice for our Native American brothers and sisters. Throughout the years, I've seen gentrification affect black and brown people. Here in the Mission District, we've had over 10,000 people who've been evicted. Uh, first, it was a dot-com boom, and, we, and the city was chasing money. Speaker Sanders, thank you so much, Roberto Hernandez, for addressing this committee. Uh, Mr. Ignat, next speaker, please. Hi, can you hear me? Uh, yes, we can. Please begin. Um, good afternoon. I'm Virginia Marshall, a longtime educator, recently retired from SFUSD. I want to thank the uh, first. I want to thank Supervisor Walton for your vision to help uh, rectify the harm done to San, to San Francisco over the decades and years by bringing forth the reparations. I am in full support of a reparations department under HRC to get this done for us. I just, I'm so glad and uh, that I had the opportunity to hear and see former Commissioner of SFUSD, Siobhan Hines Foster, speak today before you in person. She's home from college, and she's certainly a teacher's dream of a very successful student. On the staff of City Hall a few, a couple of months ago, each a supervisor told us how passionate they was about our issue, that they were going to support us. So I remember that, uh, uh, supervisors, I'm looking forward to your voting yes on this issue when it comes before you shortly. So again, thank you for all that you've done to help rectify the harm done to uh, San Franciscans over the years by uh, passing this reparation uh, uh, bill before you shortly. Thank you so much, and Ashe. Thank you much, Virginia Marshall. Mr. Agnew, next speaker, please. Yes, hello. My name is Dr. Melody Downey-Huff, Goldie to my friends and family. I am a San Francisco native, born and raised in Fillmore Western Edition, 
where I am the Executive Director of Change SF, a housing community development agency, and I'm also a member of SF Block and NFLC. Thank you, Brown Knight Supervisor Walton and Reparations Commission for your hard work. And as a member um, of San Francisco Native, I'm sad to say that many of the people that I know have had some interaction with law enforcement. I can go as far as to say that many of the young men and women during the 80s and 90s has either been to Juvenile, CYA, A50, San Bruno, or one of the hundreds of penitentiaries in this state. We know that drugs were brought directly to our community and targeted us, um, and I, too, was a victim of these harms. I didn't earn a high school diploma or attend crime, but now I have a doctorate because I was in one of these institutions. Watch the movie Kill the Messenger or read the HRC report. I have, also, I have to also mention redevelopment that is still happening in the film where as we struggle with gentrification, the loss of homes and businesses and broken homes. This office will ensure that similar harms done to our community will be recognized. We need this office to ensure that the promises that were made are kept. Thank you very much. Thank you much for your comments. Mr. Agnew, next speaker, please. Um, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Larry Martin. I'm a resident of uh, District 6. And I'm calling in to support the legislation, um, the $50 million um, fund for the Office of Reparations. Um, I, I, I believe that it's important that we fund this because we have, we have been harmed. We have been harmed. And I just, I just graduated from college. And um, it's important because we refuse to believe that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. So we carry this torch, and, it, and it's a hope that we have that all the supervisors vote yes on this bill that's going to be coming up. You know, and that's one of the purposes of Warden. Are we, are we doing that recording? You know, because we don't want you supervisors to change up on us. Because we, you know, we have a history of, of politicians and, and um, supervisors that change up on us. So it is our hope that y'all stay the course and be on the right side of history. You know, and um, with that said, um, thanks for letting me share, because a torch has been passed. Thank you much, Larry Martin. Mr. Agna, next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Supervisor. My name is Ivan Prado. I'm the manager of the Latino Task Force uh, and also a District 5 resident. Uh, I'm here speaking on behalf of our initiative mm -hmm. and the Latino community. We stand in solidarity with the ask before you today for the Office of Reparation. This plan and the statistics speak for themselves. Uh, black children and in our community are failing. Our small businesses need your support. Uh, black people suffer the highest homicide rates in San Francisco and across the country. The health disparities uh, in this report and also from the other departments that bring reports before you on different days to speak to the need for this type of work. Uh, black home ownership is tremendously down, if almost non-existent. You heard reports from some of our city programs where home ownership was supposed to be guaranteed for black families, but only two families actually were able to buy homes in some of these programs. Uh, black employees in San Francisco have been promising over and over. They experience racism across all sectors, whether they're public, private, or government. Uh, so what we need to do is have this office. We need to start this work, and the Latino community is in solidarity to start this work and continue the work that we've been doing together through COVID, 
uh, before COVID, uh, because what we know in our community is we're all we got. And, and, and that needs to end. We need to have government behind us as well. Thank you. Thank you, Ivan Vega, for your comments. Mr. Agnew, next speaker, please. Oh, good afternoon. Thank you for everything that's going on here today. Um, just listening to us speak, the public, is vital. And so I have a more personal story um, that will hopefully support the passing or the legislation to approve the Department of Reparations and the uh, Human Rights Commission's uh, leadership under uh, Cheryl Evans-Davis. Thank you to the mayor. Thank you to uh, Supervisor Walton and to the Board of Supervisors and to the African American Reparations Advisory Committee. And um, former politicians like George Moscone, who I met as a child on the steps of City Hall, this is my first time calling into the Board of Supervisors to meet and or to speak with all of you. I'm the first generation San Franciscan. I'm the first professional. I've worked for Cron for television, KCBS, iHeartMedia. Um, I'm the first to be a part of this reparations movement along with all of you. So we will make history together. I see it. I hear it. I feel it. I know it's real because we're all doing it. We're doing it. So thank all. I just want to say thank you to all of you. But the harm that's been done includes my father, a Marine, a U.S. Marine who worked for Motorola, died of a drug overdose off of 3rd Street. My brother was murdered um, as part of his attempt to uh, build a dispensary, a marijuana dispensary, before marijuana became legal. My uncle died of alcohol poisoning. Uh, he, he walked up and down the streets of Silver and San Bruno Avenue. Um, all of the men in my family are gone. There's just elderly women left in my family and me. I'm the one picking up the torch, trying to carry forward what my ancestors left Jackson, Mississippi uh, to get away from, only to land here in the Bay Area in San Francisco to uh, be time faced with more injustice. Thank you. Again, so sorry for cutting anybody off, but we are timing each uh, speaker two minutes. But thank you for addressing this committee. Uh, Mr. Agnew, if we could uh, try to circle back to our unattended lines and give them another shot. Oh, good afternoon, um, Board of Supervisors um, and the committee. and. and Shaman Walton. My name is Cheryl Thornton and I'm a District 10 resident. Um, central to the idea of the American dream lies an assumption that we all have the equal opportunity to generate the kind of wealth that brings meaning to the words life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, boldly pinned in the Declaration of Independence. The American dream portends that with hard work, a person can own a home, start a business, and grow a nest egg for generations to draw upon. This belief, however, has been de defied repeatedly by the United States government's own decree that denied wealth building opportunities to black Americans. So I'm here to, um, I support the 100 recommendations that were put forth by the um, task force and to, um, I'm also in support of the Office of Reparations. Thank you. Thank you so much, Earl Thornton, for your comments. Mr. Agnew, next speaker, please. 
It appears that line continues to be unattended. Let's try the second one. Hello. My name is Anita Ekinem. I'm a business owner here in San Francisco, founder of State of Equity Foundation, and a member of the San Francisco African American Reparations Committee. I hold the tech equity seat and have the opportunity to chair the Economic Empowerment Subcommittee. I want to thank all of the supervisors here today and Mayor London Breed uh, for taking the, taking the time to take a look at such an important issue. Today, I'm absolutely in support uh, of the legislation to appropriate $50 million from the general fund to establish the Office of Reparations. As a member of the committee, we have been working hard to identify the harms and the redress. As I, as I have done the work, the hardest thing for me is to have realized that San Francisco has perfected racism in the details. Not only in housing, policing, but also in policy. For far too many, for too many times, programs have been implemented and then underfunded intentionally. We need continued accountability and support for reparations, and this, this one vote will be along the lines to really help to address and redress everything that has come before. I ask that you stand with the committee and help the most vulnerable among us. Supervisor Tuscan stated that while we have talked and addressed Japanese and Chinese harm, the city has not addressed the shame and its treatment of its, and its resentment of black people. Be on the right side of history. We started the repair by standing up the SFAARC. Let's address our collective shame and use this moment to continue the repair by passing this bill. And by the way, it's my birthday in just a few weeks. So I ask for a yes vote as my birthday present. This is just the first step in cutting the check and making things right. And I appreciate you all. Thank you so much. Thank you much, Anita, kind of for your comments. Uh, Mr. Egnow, do we have any more callers in the queue? Uh, Madam Chair, that does complete our queue. Thank you. Seeing no more public comment, public comment is now closed. Um, thank you so much. I just want to say thanks to all the public commenter coming forward today. And I want to thank Supervisor Shaman Walton's video um, in reminding us. I only wish that there was also a video of Supervisor Shaman Walton's conversation with Mayor Bree during the question time as well. Um, I think before I call on Supervisor Safai, if it's okay, I just want to do a quick, um, just a confirmation since we didn't have that particular video, but just wanted to just um, talk about this supplemental $50 million and just because as we're going through this budget, we just approved the interim budget, thinking about how we are spending as a city um, and that I think someone actually has mentioned uh, that the mayor does not have uh, particularly really um, as a line item or so to speak uh, or any particular issues that label as reparation and I think that I just wanted to quickly uh, while we have director Dunning here to kind of walk us through just the mayor's respond to supervisor Walton's questions about during the question time about the spending of the supplemental and for the office of reparation if you can wouldn't mind just to uh, represent her for, for right now, like confirm her statements or, and if you could elaborate really, because she did not elaborate and know what her thinking is, was. 
Good afternoon. Um, so what I can share is that in the proposed budget that we discussed earlier, uh, there is not proposed funding for a new Office of Reparations in the budget. And I believe what the mayor represented at that meeting um, during question time a couple months ago is that the mayor's priorities are to continue to advance the Dreamkeeper initiative. There is full funding to support the efforts that have started through the Dreamkeeper initiatives in the in upcoming budget, um, and still a lot to do to fully implement, advance, and see through all those initiatives. So that is the mayor's priority, and there is not funding set aside for a new office of reparations in the proposed budget. And I understand, and you know, even during the uh, that time when we have when Supervisor Walton having the hearing, I want to say a lot of uh, folks from the Black community has actually very specific different shape between the Dreamkeeper Initiative and reparation. They don't see the two as the same. Um, so I, I just want to set that context uh, for that question to follow. How much is Dreamkeeper initiative at this moment within the proposed budget? Totality in, in investment. I believe it's around $60 million. Sorry, how much? $60 million Six here. zero. Yes. Six zero, $60 million. Thank you. Um, again, I just wanted to say, though, uh, if I understand correctly, again, I think from uh, at that moment when what I heard from a lot of public comment is that um, the community, some community members do not see Dreamkeeper initiative as the same as reparation. They do see, actually, the two are separate and apart from each other. Um, and again, I, I believe that's because um, I, I think some of the committee members, the reparation committee member have mentioned that what they see is really what they have recommended in this report is as what they see as reparation and again, separate apart from Dreamkeeper Initiative. So I wanna say, you know, um, uh, hats off to you, Supervisor Walton. You have a tough job ahead of you. Um, I uh, wanna say that as a, now the lone AAPI representative on the member of the Board of Supervisors, I know um, it is so difficult uh, to fight for your community, especially when it's communities of color and have traditionally just been neglected. We've been always asked to uh, only, um, it, it, it's, we're always the afterthoughts and the crumbs that is left uh, under the table that we should be grateful to have. Um, and that has always been challenging to think about uh, as a community, uh, and community of color, and but also a leader, elected leader from the community, and try to fight for the community. Um, I, from my experience, it really is tough. Let alone, you know, I think at this moment the mayor has made it clear that she's not going to spend the supplemental, um, uh, particularly on an office of reparation, which you like to champion. And I, I, I really um, have a lot of. Uh, I, I, I think that is really makes it a challenging dynamic in itself um, to how to move forward and still like deliver for your community. Um, I we as as just last year we have. Uh, we're trying to fight for the community, uh, myself, like for the AAPI community, thinking about uh, anti-Asian hate. Nothing, I would say, compared to really hundreds of years of suffering of the black community. Uh, in United States, and just to think about fighting for that, and at that moment, um, I was uh, I was torched when I proposed a one hundred and eighteen million dollars of supplemental. 
and out of which <laughs> um, I was urged by um, Chair Ronan to really think it through because she was our budget chair at the time and uh, Supervisor Safayu was the vice chair at that time and really helped me work it through and think about you know the difficulty and constraints of budget and um, and continue the, that supplemental and, and continue that discussion so that um, out of which finally as an end result during the budget process was able to allocate uh, 30 million, wasn't a supplemental, but actually a certificate of um, participation um, to dedicate um, 30 million for the API equity, now known as the API equity fund. But even then after a year later, um, that 30 million allocated only uh, less than $15 million was um, went out um, and spent. Um, it just, it's a process and it's a continuing process. It's not easy. Um, the way I see this supplemental and if I, if I may think of for like the community, while I don't, do not, I cannot say uh, as an ally and, and just kind of think about how I would move this forward in a way that delivers for the community, but it's all clearly, it's overwhelming. You know, just looking at the report, I'm scrolling through and trying to think like e even in my own brain and, you know, in terms of problem solving mode, do you prioritize things and give a timeline and how do you allocate resources? Everything jumps out at the same time and the same moment. They are all equally important and I find that rather challenging and, and I again um, think that this is a very difficult task um, and but if I am just evaluating the supplemental before us today and having this thinking and looking at this and if I may say I, I would probably have done a similar tactic thinking about how to deliver the way that I deliver my community thinking about how I would approach this that I would not back down on a $50 million ask. I would hold firm. If you see my legislative file now, there's still $118 million uh, of supplementals still uh, open as a file because I hold on to that and I want to have a space holder. Um, but at the same time, I also understood that it was um, a placeholder and I must, the work must continue and how do we move forward and be at the table to negotiate is most important and critical for me at that moment. And so that I allow that supplemental to continue to the call of chair and really allowing that to be amended uh, and, and be delivered in different ways. Um, I don't know what the will of this body really is, um, but that is the way I'm thinking that you know, if, if I were to move this forward, I really hope that this can continue as part of the budget conversation and process. Clearly, there's a lot of back and forth negotiation. We may not end up all 50 million, just like we never did uh, end it in all 118 million. And, and it, it's a very difficult place to be, but we have to move forward. We have to deliver something. Like, it is not, it is not acceptable to just put something out and, and not being put to use and simply just because it becomes truly become a statement. I think that what is critical is to be at the table and be at that table to negotiate through the next few weeks to really actually deliver something that is feasible, deliverable, um, and, and that's my perspective. Um, and I understand that's not how everybody um, move 
with their community. Um, so I'm just going to leave it uh, at this thought and, and just kind of wanted to lay it out there, colleagues and Supervisor Safai. Thank you, Chair. Thanks uh, to all the commenters that came out today. Um, and thank you to the committee for all of the difficult work. Um, I know that there are a significant number of recommendations, and I know the committee's position is it's not your job to tell us what we should do. It's our job to look at the final report and make some um, final decisions. Uh, one thing I just want to reiterate, and I think people know this, but I want to say it for the record, and, and, and Chair Chan just said it, um, this committee is at the beginning of the budget negotiation process, and I see some of the folks in the audience uh, that have worked uh, on this side of the board, and they understand that the budget negotiations are beginning now. And we heard from the mayor's uh, budget director the, that the mayor did not put any funding for reparations in her budget. She stated publicly that she has no intentions of funding an office and or supporting an initiative for reparations. Uh, but again, that's what's being said today. And there are a few weeks and a lot of late hours that, are, um, that will continue to be negotiated um, if I'm saying something different, uh, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, uh, budget director, um, but it's not the, the, there, is no, there is no funding for reparations in the budget, correct? And if this committee were to move to, through the chair, if this committee were to move to fund um, even setting up of the office or having a conversation about that, what would the mayor uh, do in response to that? because I don't want to state something if that's not the case. I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. Sure. So yes, you're correct. There isn't specific funding set aside for an Office of Reparations or reparations in the mayor's proposed budget. Over the next couple of weeks, we expect the board is going to make a number of changes to this budget. And so um, that budget will be voted on by the board, and that is the budget that then becomes the city's budget for the next two years. Right. And there will be a consistent amount of negotiations, as Chair Chan said, her initial proposal for uh, the acquisition of assets uh, for the API community was $118 million. It ended up being finally negotiated down, and there was an identified source for that. So I just want to be clear that this is the beginning of those conversations. And if something that starts out as a no today can, can turn into a, um, a yes and is part of the conversation. I mean, I'm, I'm personally uh, stand by the comments that I made uh, that was played on the video. Thank you, Supervisor Walton, for reminding us all of what we said. Um, I, I stand by that. Um, but there are 221, how many final recommendations? Sorry, 111 uh, final recommendations. There's a lot that could be chosen from. And also, I think it's been stated that there still needs to be work to define the universe of people that would and have been impacted. I can tell you that as this conversation has happened, not being uh, from the black community, but someone that hears from people all over San Francisco, it's interesting to me how much misinformation is out there and how much misunderstanding there is. And as people have asked me, and we've talked about the government actions uh, that were taken and if there were an identifiable government action like redevelopment and when you say if and because we live in a part of town and I see people from the district here um, we live in a part of town that many of us are living in the homes of our grandparents or our parents 
and we inherited those homes. And if someone said to you, um, if you found out that your grandmother's home was taken by the government or they were forced out of that home without any compensation, do you think the government owes your family money? And the answer, obviously, in almost 100% of the situations is yes. So when you bring it back to that level of understanding of what happened in San Francisco, just for example, redevelopment and how many businesses and homes were taken and destroyed, um, that is a recognizable government action that you can quantify. Um, but the universe of people and the defined universe of people that were impacted by that, I think there's still work that needs to be done. So I, I personally um, am in favor of continuing the conversation and setting up an office. But what I don't hear today is that the mayor, and, and let's be clear, and this is another thing I want to say on the record, the power to fund and expend dollars does not rest with this body. We have allocated monies in the past from this body that the mayor has chosen not to spend. And the power and the decision rests with the mayor ultimately to spend dollars in San Francisco. That is how the charter is set up. 90 plus percent of the power in the city rests with the mayor of the city and county of San Francisco. She hires the department heads. She sets the budget. She, hires, she appoints the majority of the commissioners. So in this instance, we don't have a budget that has reparations acknowledged. We are being asked to do, make a step in the right direction. I appreciate Supervisor Walton for making uh, this conversation move forward. Um, and as I said, today is day one of the negotiations in many ways. Uh, this is the first day we're having budget and appropriations hearing as it relates to the budget. And we will be doing this over the next uh, three weeks. I think and I feel confident that there will be a way to get to um, the funding of, uh, of an office. Um, then it will result in a conversation, I think, with um, Director Davis, um, because that's what has been proposed, and how we can have that conversation ultimately to finalize that. I don't think it's our job to make the final decision today on what will ultimately be funded, because we still haven't defined that universe. Um, just through the chair, if I could just ask Director Davis, since she's here, to come up and maybe speak on that, answer a couple of questions, because I'd like to understand the mechanics of which and it sounds like there's been a request. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Director Davis, and I seriously, I'm, I just, I wanna know for sure. Dreamkeepers runs through your department, is that right? That's correct. Okay, and there's been the, the request from the mayor and the statesman from the mayor have been the very hard line. I mean, like her position is, Dreamkeepers is her way, and she's talked about it publicly, that this is what she believes is, is the step toward and has tried to show the commitment to the black community through Dream Keepers, but yet the community has said very strongly that there's a, a hard line between Dream Keepers and reparations. Yeah, and I would not begin to try and speak for the mayor, but I will try to speak to the distinction between the two. Um, my you. understanding is that the Dream Keeper initiative was created as a way to uh, invest in the black community, uh, a way to, um, within the confines of the way that the bureaucratic structure is set up, um, to move this money. And I think that there, and, and if I'm honest, and I know that 
um, folks from the city attorney's office and other folks can speak to this. I think that there is a lot of apprehension from folks around if we label something specifically reparations, lawsuits will come and mm -hmm. begin to ensue. So I want to be very clear that... Um, right, no, I appreciate No, no, and I, I want to say the one thing, and I think this is where the community comes from, is that with Dreamkeeper Initiative, we are, we are focused and intentional about getting to um, the black community. There is not a caveat or carve out in the way that reparations is that says it would only be for black people. Got it. That's, that's a very important distinction. I appreciate that. And, and then if there were, just because it's, that's what's in the report, that it would be within your department, if there were monies allocated for an office, how would you imagine that being implemented? I mean, I think we, we have learned over the last few years just from taking on various different projects. I think some of what you all have said today is very true, just in terms of how long it takes to actually get dollars out the door. We know that hiring cannot theoretically begin until October 1st, um, the way that the budget runs. But I would say um, I appreciate what was spelled out from the BLA around um, staffing. I think that that is important. I would also um, suggest that it would we should put more money for staffing just because um, the community outreach and engagement piece is important. I would also say in terms of operations and supporting the work, um, being mindful of people's time, being mindful of research, being mindful of all the things that need to go into it. Uh, I would suggest um, the operational budgetary piece would probably be closer to um, three million in order to this is just, again, from Dreamkeeper to the Office of Sharp to Opportunities for All, just learning that we have always under-requested in terms of funding for staff. Next, I would say um, what we've heard very clearly from folks is that they want to see the, um, the funding that happens for economic empowerment, for education, for policy change, but there also is a request to think about how we start to do some cash disbursements. And um, as has already been mentioned, the $50 million is not enough to do that. But I would say to not be, um, for lack of a better phrase, a joke, we would need more than staffing. There would have to be something that allows you to do something tangible to be responsive so folks aren't like, oh, you just created another bureaucratic body to keep us from getting the money. That would just be... If it were with us, if we were trying to create something, again, just on the surface of what we've learned from other, um, other developments. And so whether that is an additional, you know, if it's $3 million for the office, an additional $2 million to make sure that we do something tangible, and then knowing that the other $45 million would be, like, not even enough to start the first 10 recommendations, let alone the 100-plus. Well, I would just add that just reviewing the recommendations, there's a number of recommendations that if you were to identify a universe uh, that you would say this is going to be targeted to based on past actions, it's, there's a lot more in there than just um, cash disper disbursements, right? Just to your point. I mean, even recommendation 2.7, I was... Uh, speaking to Sue Russell Walton about, I mean, it's talking about public housing units, converting them to condominiums as a way to build wealth for existing. I mean, so there's, there's yeah. a number of different, th I mean, again, I'm, we're not getting into the, the details of the recommendations. I but, just say that there's a... But if I could, a, um, through the chair, just to say, 
even with that, I think that it is not easy to unpack all of the recommendations. And so when you talk about exactly. the public housing piece, um, turning them into condominiums, there is um, actually, you know, and, and we've talked to um, folks in Oakland, like this is being done where people's vouchers are used to actually pay their mortgage. Like, so there are things that could be done right. that are leveraging, but I think that part of this is how much we're willing to actually invest to understand the system, to make sure that folks who have been locked out of it understand how it works, how we're paying folks to be well informed. So there are a lot of different ways to use the money, I would just say. Right, to my point that there's a lot of different recommendations in here that we don't even know which ones will be landed upon. And I think that's why it's important to, to, to you know, take the right steps forward to set the foundation before there's a final opportunity. So thank you, Director Davis, glad you're here. Uh, sorry, before I head uh, to I didn't have uh, Vice Chairman Noman, I just wanted to quickly add to that though, with the Office of Reparation, if were to be established, will be under uh, your leadership. Um, have, is there a vision and thoughts, because there's a state reparation committee as well, and you know, I think that there gotta be also a federal level of conversation around reparations. How do you foresee just because I, I think what you're trying to tell us is that, hey, you know, that's at least like $3 million to start and establish an office of reparation and roughly about $2 million of sort of just kind of get them start launching to a space where we can seriously consider some of these recommendations, including cash payment. Um, will you consider also to kind of incorporate um, possible communications um, or leveraging local uh, staffing to connect on a state and federal recommendations with dollars? Yeah, I mean, I would say that's part of why I was saying that the, the staffing piece or the operational piece is more because there's going back and forth. For, there's a lot that's happening, not just in Sacramento, but around the state, around mm -hmm. the statewide efforts. There are things that are happening nationally. Um, and that costs money, and I think where we've messed up in the past, right, for even, you know, apologies to the, the ad advisory committee, is that things have come up where we just didn't have the budget to necessarily send people to the national or statewide things that were happening. And so we need to be more intentional, not ask people to come on boards and um, be part of committees and not have the money to actually support them to do the things they need to do to make sure that we do an informed decision. Chair, I just wanted, I had one last question, I'm sorry, before I hand it back over um, to, to you, Director Davis. Um, I know one of the things that, again, we, I mentioned this slightly, but I just wanted to see what your response would be. Um, it seems to me that the office itself could be involved in creating a list based on the definitions of who would be eligible and that office would oversee that list and then, and then you get into the conversation about what recommendations and things that you do. Can, can you talk about that for a second? I mean, I would say much like the process that you all have here where you work with the budget legislative analyst and that you check in with the city attorney, um, part of why we've talked about and I think why the BLA suggested even um, having outside support and help is that we realize and recognize the city attorney's job is to keep the city from being liable in different situations, right? And so um, we would need to invest resources in kind of that exploration, right? Like we want to partner, we want to engage with different folks. We need to be able to 
get funding outside of the city and county. We need to pay people outside of the city and county because what the committee wants may not be what, what they've recommended, recommended when we begin this process from inside city government may not be the thing that the city attorney supports, may not be the thing that you as the supervisors or that the mayor supports. So oh, I understand that. I meant just purely about who would be eligible and qualify, like a, a list. of. Well, I, I, get, I well, think you're saying that even that would create some type. Yeah, I, I do think that even that, I think the city attorney, based on what we hear from Prop 209 and other things, I think even that process, Could we be, may be told not to I do understand. that. Oh, of course, we'd have to go with the advice of city attorney. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. And Vice Chair Mendelman. Thank you, uh, Chair Chan. I guess I just have a, a, a couple of thoughts. Um, one is, you know, on, on the scale of the supplemental, which is relatively large for a supplemental and relatively large for an amount that we could do through the ad back, but I think it is important to say is pretty tiny compared to the the scale of the obligation and this and the scale of what we need to do I think there was the report got a lot of attention for one of the hundred plus recommendations that happened to be about payments to individuals but I think I have always felt that that amount whether payments to individuals are a good idea or not could actually easily be along the scale of what we would need to do to, to make right by the obligation. And I think, you know, 40 acres and a mule would have been much cheaper, but we didn't do 40 acres and a mule. Um, and the, the harm to, um, to black people has continued and been aggravated and accelerated and enhanced. So it becomes a harder thing to fix the longer we go not fixing it, and that then becomes a burden not just on descendants of slaves, but anyone um, who may look like you know they may have been, um, and then actually impacts everybody else in the society because the harms that are caused by not making this right, you know, it compounds. So I think all of which is to say that $50 million, a lot for an ad back process, is not nearly enough for what we need to do. Um, I don't... I don't know that this is the mayor's position, but I don't agree that the Dreamkeeper Initiative um, settles this. I think we and then the state government and then the federal government need to lean in and do a whole lot more, and we'll need to continue to try to do that. And so I like the idea of creating a place within our city government where the conversation about reparations continues and where we continue to look for opportunities to um, to implement reparations at the local level even though locally we can't actually get it done it needs, as I said needs to be a state federal everybody needs to be doing this so I hope that in the context of the budget conversations we're able to um, find a place for reparations to continue to live and for the work of this committee to continue on in city government and um, honestly, you know, through a city ad back process, pr probably can't be $50 million, but I'm hoping we can figure something out so that this continues. And I think it's important for the board actually to try to fund something even if, um, you know, even if we're not sure that that's gonna get implemented by the mayor, because, you know, we've done that around other things. We did it around Prop I. And I think um, finding, you know, a way to show that the board believes that this is a worthwhile investment 
balancing that against all the other things we have to try to find funding for, I feel like that's an important thing to try to do. And, you know, the month is going to be long and we're going to have many things pulling at us. But, um, you know, I, ho I hope we can find a space for that in the conversation over the next few weeks. I agree, and uh, I'm definitely going to hand it back to Supervisor Walton um, for final remarks. And before I do that, I, I just uh, I agree with Supervisor Safai. You know, we stand by our words that we spoke at the full board. Um, you know, I think we need to be honest with our vote, and we need to put our money where our mouth is, and to really think carefully with our vote and think carefully with where we're putting the money and whether it is truly going to deliver the results uh, even though however small it may be to as a starter um, at least we are delivering uh, real results and instead of um, I hope I hope we don't end up being in a space where we dedicate funding and yet uh, that funding is um, stuck and not being able to move us forward, and now we're in a hole. And so I just really want us to be very honest about the way we spend those money and dedicate those money and with our vote that goes with it. So thank you, and Supervisor Walton. Thank you so much, Chair Chan, and thank you so much to public who came <laughs> for today's item, uh, folks who called in as well, and thank you to Director Davis and Chair McDonald, uh, for being here. Um, you know, first, you know, we don't spend a lot of time at this board talking about what the mayor is going to do and not do. Um, I don't know why we chose to do that on this topic. Uh, our job as the Board of Supervisors is to do the things that are within our power. We cannot play gypsies and try to figure out what the mayor is going to do. Um, we have a role here at the Board of Supervisors, and we most certainly all 11 of us have done very well at understanding what that role is. Uh, so I don't know why today we would act like we don't know that we approve stuff that the mayor doesn't go forward with all the time. Um, I do want to thank Director Davis, too, for delineating the difference between the DreamKeeper Initiative and reparations, because you know, reparations and the resources connected to reparations should be and will be directly related to addressing the systemic harms of, of black people here in San Francisco, but also be directly correlated with the African-American Reparations and Advisory Committee's final report. Uh, these recommendations will be very specific to achieving equity and righting the wrongs of the past for black people. Even today, even today, and I know some people probably don't know this, even today, according to the city's latest slavery era disclosure report, the city and county of San Francisco still does business with several companies that participated in the slave trade in some manner. This is 2023. We have to send it out. We have to let everybody know transparently that we are still in the city and county of San Francisco doing business with businesses that participated in the slave trade. But let's just go back to some facts here and you know, things that are important to this specific hearing. After reading the BLA's report and based on their review of the organizational chart of the Human Rights Commission, the scope of the task force draft recommendations, they estimate that the Office of Reparations will require 1.6 million to staff up. And they talk about the fact that 48.4 million of proposed appropriation remaining would be for programming. 
which would be informed by the task force and recommendations uh, by the Human Rights Commission as well. The BLA also stated, given the scope of the African American Reparations and Advisory Committee's draft recommendations, the proposed $50 million is not sufficient to implement all recommended actions. It would, however, provide an opportunity to pilot new programming. Many people bring up Prop 209 as a way to continue to make excuses and continue to widen the wealth gap and a way to keep black people from achieving equity. But as stated in the BLA report, Prop 209 does not prohibit this city from investing in communities that have been historically marginalized, underinvested in, and disenfranchised. With that said, I, of course, am 100% aware where the city stands in terms of our fiscal issues, but I'm also aware of several, several supplementals being approved during this very budget time. Right now, as we speak, there were about $50 million in supplementals approved already. So to not provide resources for the most underserved community in history will clearly be a demonstration of this city's priorities. We cannot ignore what this city has done to further widen the wealth and social gaps that exist for black San Francisco. But due to the de deficit, uh, I, I think there is a fair compromise. And I would propose that we amend the supplemental legislation on page one, line three, cross out $50 million and change it to $10 million and push forward the supplemental to demonstrate the commitment all 11 of us have promised the black community. Again, I'm not gonna get into playing gypsy or trying to tell the future of what the mayor is or is not gonna do. Uh, we don't do that much here at this board. And so that is a motion and I hope it is supported. So seeing no second, the motion failed. Um, I think colleagues, I think we need to really recognize the fact that this conversation must continue. I think that it is a commitment that this, I think all of us have articulated. I think that I also look forward to seeing Supervisor Ronan joining us uh, to continue this conversation. Uh, I do hope that uh, we're gonna continue to work on this uh, through the, next few weeks, um, more to come. I don't think that we should be despair. We should actually continue to hold on to this and figure this out. So with that, I'm gonna move to continue this item to call a chair. Madam, Madam Chair, before you make that motion, is there a way to make it a date certain during the budget negotiations so that we know um, what days it's gonna be discussed so folks have an understanding that, that this will come back up in the next couple of weeks? I will continue it to June 28th. I think that by then we will have a very clear understanding of what we can negotiate it and what can actually be invest and very specific dollar amounts for all of us to come to an agreement. And so a uh, motion to move to continue to June 28. Second. Second by Vice Chair Mandelman. Roll call, please. 
And on that motion to forward this ordinance to the to this committee's meeting on June 28th, uh, seconded by Vice Chair Mandelman. Uh, Vice Chair Mandelman, Mandelman, I member Safai, Safai, I member Walton. Hell no. Walton, no. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes with uh, member Walton in dissent. Thank you. The motion passes. And with that, um, do we have any other business before us today? Uh, Madam Chair, that concludes our business. Thank you. The meeting is adjourned.